Well, good morning. It is wonderful to be here, more wonderful than you can imagine for Angela and Rachel and me to be back. And I'm so very grateful for this opportunity to preach again at Truro. And thank you, Jamie, for your friendship and also for your gracious invitation. You're inviting a bishop to preach. It's always slightly risky. Um, you never know how much cleanup you'll do, and I promise Ray, Jamie not to leave too much. Well, we've been traveling quite a bit recently and encountering some of the minor frustrations of travel. Uh, the good thing is that most of the people that we meet on the way take the annoyances in their stride, but not everyone. There was one situation in Denver when a crowded United flight was canceled. A single agent was rebooking a long line of inconvenienced travelers and suddenly an angry passenger pushed his way to the desk. He slapped his ticket on the counter and said, I have to be on this flight. It has to be first class. Well, the agent replied, I'm very sorry, sir, but I'll be happy to help you. But I've got to help these other folks first and I'm sure we'll be able to work something out. Well, the passenger was most unimpressed. And then he asked loudly so that the passengers behind him could hear, do you have any idea who I am? Without hesitating, the gate agent smiled, grabbed her public address microphone. May I have your attention, please? She said with a voice echoing through the terminal, we have a passenger here at the gate who does not know who he is. <laughs> If anyone can help him find his identity, please come to gate 17. Everybody laughed except him. And eventually everyone did get home. But I want to stay with that question. Do you know, do you really know who you are? You know, when we first came to Truro Church more than 30 years ago, it was a little overwhelming for all of us. Uh, there were hundreds of people to meet and greet. Uh, Rachel was only eight years old at the time, but she knew who she was. She would go up to people and introduce herself by saying, hi, I'm Rachel, dad's daughter. It was rather cute, uh, but her words contained profound truth. See, she established who she was through her relationship with her father. But that's actually true for all of us. We are to know ourselves through our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Do you? The sad thing is that many people are confused about their identity these days. They don't know who they are. Lots of people identify themselves with their occupation. If you ask them, who are you? They answer with a resume. Uh, but that misses the point. What you do is not who you are. Eventually, it will leave you with no identity at all. And in recent days, I've heard people identify themselves by their political party or their presidential preference, as if that defines them. Surely not. Although I did know a man at Truro who had a large sign in his office on which was written, and he was very proud, it read, an American by birth and a Virginian by the grace of God. <laughs> well, what about you? Do you know who you are? Now, I know you know your name, but do you know who you are, your core identity? And for help with that question, I'd like to take a look at our gospel lesson for today. It's that wonderfully familiar passage from Matthew's gospel in which Jesus asks 
the disciples this very question about himself. But he doesn't stop there because he goes on to answer the same question about those who would be his followers. Let's take a look at the text and see what lessons we can learn. Each of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, describes this same incident. It took place near a town called Caesarea Philippi in Upper Galilee. It's an area that has a remarkable, diverse religious heritage. The countryside is still littered with the remains of idols and shrines to all kinds of gods, rather like the, the Walmart superstar for religions. It's one of the more fascinating archaeological sites, and to this day, people go there to conduct pagan fertility rites. It used to be called Banyas, and was the center of Baal worship before King Herod's son Philip rebuilt it, and then renamed it Caesarea Philippi in honor of his two favorite people, Caesar and himself. <laughs> uh, picture Jesus walking ahead of the disciples, silhouetted against the city in all of its Roman glory. Rising out of its center was a translucent temple of white marble built by Herod the Great and used for Caesar worship. The power of Rome is in the air, but so are the memories of all of the pagan gods. It was here, in a region ambiguous with symbols of man's religion, pride, and passion, that Jesus stopped to pray. And afterward, he turned and confronted his disciples with these words. Who do the crowd say I am? And in verse 13, we hear their answers. They told him that some people thought that he was John the Baptist, raised from the dead. Now, you may recall that Herod Antipas had ordered John's execution at a drunken orgy, and his guilt-ridden fears of God's reprisal may have prompted this theory. Others believe that he was Elijah, who had come to prepare the way for the Messiah, in fulfillment of the prophecy given to Malachi. Still others believe that he was Jeremiah, who had come to deliver his people from their oppressors. With all these possibilities floating around him, Jesus pushes on to the second question. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Only Simon Peter had courage to answer. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. This was a moment of truth for Peter. There was no turning back. Everything had changed. Peter now knew for himself that Jesus was the long-expected Messiah. And he knew too that this unlikely character, the man who had disrupted their lives and shown them a whole new way of living, was indeed the Son of God. In a strange, incomprehensible way, he was God with them. And this was not some philosophical leap in the dark. It was a word from the sovereign Lord himself. Like the prophet Isaiah before him, Peter knew that he knew that he had heard from God. It was an amazing moment. In the middle of all of the competing religious claims, Peter had put his stake in the ground. And then Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And you can almost hear the delight in Jesus' voice. Simon, Peter, you got it right. 
You've been given the answer on which to build your life and you didn't figure it out for yourself. This is direct from God the Father. You have proclaimed a rock-solid truth that will become the foundation for the Christian church for generations to come. This is the bedrock of faith on which you can all stand. Now what about you? If Jesus turned to you and said, who do you say I am? What would your answer be? Like those first disciples, we live in a time of religious pluralism. We're also bombarded on every side with the gods of science and technology, which promise all of the answers to life concerns, but somehow those answers all seem strangely impotent. And Jesus still asks the same questions. Who do the crowd say I am? And what about you? Who do you say I am? Well, make me sure I'll answer that question. As for me and my house, we will say that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? Yeah. He is the Messiah, the Christ of God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus is our creator and our redeemer. Amen? Yeah. But Jesus doesn't stop there. A little later in this same chapter from Matthew, Jesus goes on and raises the bar on what it means to be his follower. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. See, here's the crunch. What Jesus is saying is that if we want to be his disciples, we must be willing to let him define us, not the other way around. Let me say it again, because it's easy to shout amen to Jesus without realizing he's pointing back at us. If we want to be his disciples, we must be willing to let him define us and not the other way around. Dietrich Bonhoeffer so when Christ calls a man or a woman, he bids him come and die. And that doesn't mean that every Christian must become a martyr, although some will. It does mean that being a disciple of Jesus must become our primary identity. We must be willing to die to every other role, every other aspect of our lives. See, we are actually a disciple of Jesus before we are a mother or a father. We're a disciple of Jesus before we're a doctor, a teacher, homemaker, engineer. We're a disciple of Jesus before we are a Republican or Democrat. We're a disciple of Jesus before we're an American, a Virginian, or even an Englishman. We are a disciple of Jesus before we are an Anglican or a member of Truro Church. Do I hear an amen? amen? You see, who are you? I am a disciple of Jesus. Let me try on you. Who are you? Who are you? Notice you're not merely a disciple. Lots of folks are disciples. But you're a disciple of Jesus. There's a profound particularity about this. You see, you have been called by Jesus. In rabbinical circles of the time that Jesus was ministering there, 
A disciple would choose his own master and voluntarily join the school, kind of like we do to college. You know, we sign up and apply. But Jesus did something rather different. He took the initiative and he personally called Simon and Andrew, James and John, Levi, Philip and the others to be his followers. And Jesus reminded them about this in John's Gospel. You did not choose me. But I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And this is my command. Love each other. You know, when I was a child, I loved to read and do math, and I was terrible at sports. I was the ultimate nerd. I especially hated team sports. I know that will shock many of you. And that awful process by which sides are chosen. Do you remember? I'm still scarred, I'm sure, by it all. Because I was always chosen last. Oh, you got mins. But guess what? Jesus chose me to be on his team. I've been chosen by Christ to be his disciple. And so have you. Never forget, we did not choose him, but he chose us. Now, we may remember, I hope we do, a time when we made a decision to follow Jesus, but that only came because he was already at work calling us to himself. Too many people think that they have called themselves. They've decided to join. Now, I know there's a wonderful song we all used to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. It's a great song, but it's not theologically sound. Sorry. We follow him because he calls us first. See, if you think you made that decision, it leaves you in control. It's only when we know that we are not in control, that we have been chosen, called, and commissioned by Christ, that we will want to present our bodies to him as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. You know, the first disciples never lost sight of the fact that they had been chosen by God. Listen to how Paul introduces himself. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. That wouldn't be a bad way to start our letters, would it, if you're writing a letter or sending an email? Jim, a disciple of Jesus. Wouldn't that be great if you could put that in your intro line? See, Paul knew that was his identity. And it is ours as well. We are disciples of Jesus. And something else... There were no solitary disciples. The disciples were called to share their lives and their love both for him and each other. And it's by this love that we are known to be his disciples. We're never called to be disciples on our own. It's not a a private spiritual thing. We are called into community. You know, one of the early marks of the gospel was the wonderful diversity of the early church. In the world around them, people were divided over issues of race, power, money, and sex. Actually, some things haven't changed. But when they came together as disciples of Jesus, these issues no longer divided them, and people could tell. May that always be true at Truro Church. They were also called to obey. When Jesus called the disciples, he also called them to obedience. He said, if you love me, you will obey 
but I command. Now, obedience is a tough thing for us. I have a friend who once told me that he believed in Jesus. He just didn't believe anything that Jesus said. Not really an option. As a disciple of Jesus, we are under orders. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. And the Apostle Paul again makes this very clear. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Who we have from God? You're not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Amen? amen. That was a bit quiet on the amen. Um, <laughs> I have, you, you haven't forgotten, have you? The amen doesn't mean he's almost finished, because I'm not. It actually, <laughs> mean, it actually means, yes, I agree, amen? amen. <clears throat> but it's not just about sex, important as that is. It's about every aspect of our lives. You see, as disciples of King Jesus, we're called to obedience 24-7. How we spend our time. How we spend our money. How we relate to one another. As a disciple of Jesus, you don't put it off when you leave here and go beat up the neighbors. No, no. It's a life call. How we raise our children, how we care for the poor. All of this matters to God. It's not because God wants to make our lives miserable, but because God truly knows what is best for us. See, to be a disciple of Jesus is a lifelong call. And it's the most demanding and exciting adventure to which any one of us can be called. Sometimes it may involve a call to a faraway place. Or it may require a sacrificial stand for truth right here at home. But about one thing is sure. Being a disciple of Jesus is never boring. Yeah, we're also called to live different I've not forgotten my English grammar, by the way. Some of you will may remember the slogan, Think Different, introduced by Apple computers in the late 90s. It was a clever play against Think, the one-word, long-standing slogan used by their arch-rival IBM for decades. As a disciple of Jesus, we not only think different, and we must, we must never be allow the world to conform us to squeeze us into its mold. But we're also called to live different. We are in the world, but not of the world. Our goal is to serve and not be served. Our desire is to give and not merely to get. In many ways, we actually turn the values of this world upside down. And Jesus, in that astonishing sermon we call the Beatitudes, reminds us that it's the humble and meek who finally get to inherit the earth, not the arrogant and proud. You know, during this Thanksgiving season, I've been reminded of the many people who've modeled this way of life for me, including quite a number of friends with whom we served during our time at Truro. I remember our next door neighbors, Ed and Nancy Pritchard, who had lived astonishing, remarkable, influential lives, but then came and lived here and served quietly among us. I think of John and Nancy Vandervoort, who also modeled gentle, caring lives. 
Ed and Diane Nippers are also two people who had a profound impact on me and my family. Ed is a world-class artist, and yet in our family he will be forever known and loved as Rachel's Sunday school teacher. Now I could spend the next three or four hours listing people uh, of this congregation who have really profoundly changed my life. People who have taught me what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. But instead I'll conclude with one of my favorite Rachel stories. We're at another airport, not Denver this time, waiting for our flight, sitting in those rather uncomfortable plastic chairs. By the way, if any of you design those chairs here, please, they don't fit. Uh, across from us was a young woman who was just quietly sobbing. And I responded in my classic British way of pretending not to notice. Uh, and busying myself with my urgent matters on my computer. However, Rachel noticed. Without asking my permission, she got up and she walked over to the woman. She put her hand on her shoulder and then with a gentle smile, looked at her and said, it will be okay. The young woman looked back at her through her tears with a look of astonishment and gratitude as if it had been a touch from heaven and said, thank you. At that moment, I knew that only Rachel could have done that. If I'd done it, oh, it would have caused a scene. You see, Rachel knows who she is. She knows she's a disciple of Jesus. She knows she's been called by Jesus. She knows she's been called to obey and her special call is to show his love to everyone she meets. What about you? Do you know who you are? Not your label. Not your name tag. But deep down, do you know that you're a disciple of Jesus? I pray you do. Father God, I thank you and I bless you for this community of faith called to follow King Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we would all know deep down who we are and live that to your glory. For Jesus' sake.